Chapter Seven of the Search by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Seven. He had passed the quarters of the Signal Corps before the thought of the letter he had just written came to his mind. Then he stopped short, gave one agonizing glance toward his barracks only a few feet away realized that it was nearly time for bed-call, and that he could not possibly make it if he went back, then whirled about and started out on a wild run like a madman over the ground he had just traveled. He was not conscious of carrying on a train of thought as he ran. His only idea was to get to the Y.M.C.A. hut before the man had left with a letter. Never should his childhood's enemy have that letter to sneer over all the pleasant phrases which had flowed from his pen so easily but a few moments before seemed to flare now in letters of fire before his bloodshot eyes as he bounded over the ground to think he should have lowered himself and weakened his position so as to write to the girl who was soon to be the wife of that contemptible puppy the bugles began to sound taps here and there in the barracks as he flew past but they meant nothing to him Breathless, he arrived at the Y.M.C.A. hut, just as the last light was being put out. A dark figure stood on the steps, as he halted entirely winded, and tried to gasp out, Where is Mr. Hathaway? to the assistant who was locking up. Oh, he left five minutes after you did, said the man with a yawn. The rector came by in his car and took him along. Say, you'll be late getting in, Corporal. Tap sounded almost five minutes ago. With a low exclamation of disgust and dismay, Cameron turned and started back again in a long swinging stride, his face flushing hotly in the dark over his double predicament. He had gone back for nothing, and got himself subject to a calling down, a thing which he had avoided scrupulously since coming to camp, but he was so miserable over the other matter that it seemed a thing of no moment to him now. He was altogether occupied with metaphorically kicking himself for having answered that letter, for having mailed it so soon, without ever stopping to read it over or give himself a chance to reconsider. He might have known, he might have remembered that Ruth MacDonald was no comrade for him, that she was a neighbor of the Wainwrights, and in all probability be a friend of the lieutenant's. Not for all that he owned in the world or hoped to own would he have thus laid himself open to the possibility of having Wainwright know any of his inner thoughts. He would rather have lived and died unknown, unfriended, than that this should come to pass. And she, the promised wife of a Wainwright, could it be? She must have written him that letter merely from a fine friendly patronage. All right, of course, from her standpoint but from his, gall and wormwood to his proud spirit. Oh, that he had not answered it, he might have known, he should have remembered that she had never been in his class, not that his people were not as good as hers, and maybe better, so far as intellectual attainments were concerned, but his had lost their money, had lived a quiet life, and in her eyes and in the eyes of her family were very likely as the mere dust of the earth and now just now when war had set its seal of sacrifice upon all young men in uniform he as a soldier had risen to a kind of deified class set apart for hero worship nothing more it was not her fault that she had been brought up that way and that he seemed so to her and nothing more she had shown her beautiful spirit in giving him the tribute that seemed worthiest to her view he would not blame her nor despise her 
but he would hold himself aloof as he had done in the past and show her that he wanted no favors no patronage he was sufficient to himself what galled him most was to think that perhaps in the intimacy of their engagement she might show his letter to wainwright and they would laugh together over him a poor soldier presuming to write as he had done to a girl in her station they would laugh together half pitifully at least the woman would be pitiful the man was likely to sneer he could see his hateful moustache curl now with scorn and his little eyes twinkle and he would tell her all the lies he had tried to put upon him in the past he would give her a wrong idea of his character he would rejoice and triumph to do so oh the bitterness of it it overwhelmed him so that the little matter of getting into his bunk without being seen by the officer in charge was utterly overlooked by him perhaps some good angel arranged the way for him so that he was able to slip past the guards without being challenged two of the guards were talking at the corner of the barracks with their backs to him at the particular second when he came in sight a minute later they turned back to their monotonous march and the shadow of the vanishing corporal had just disappeared from among the other dark shadows of the night landscape inside the barracks another guard welcomed him eagerly without questioning his presence there at that hour say cam how about day after to-morrow are you free will you take my place on guard i want to go up to philadelphia and see my girl and i'm sure of a pass but i'm listed for guard duty i'll do the same for you some time sure said cameron heartily and swung upstairs with the sudden realization that he had been granted a streak of good luck yet somehow he did not seem to care much he tiptoed over to his bunk among the rows of sleeping forms removed from it a pair of shoes three books some newspapers and a mess kit which some lazy comrades had left there and threw himself down with scant underdressing it seemed as though a great calamity had befallen him although when he tried to reason it out he could not understand how things were so much changed from what they had been that morning before he received the letter ruth macdonald had never been anything in his life but a lovely picture there was no slightest possibility that she would ever be more she was like a distant star to be admired but never come near had he been fool enough to have his head turned by her writing that kind of letter to him had he even remotely fancied she would ever be anything nearer to him than just a formal friend who occasionally stooped to give a bright smile or do a kindness well if he had he needed this knock-down blow it might be a good thing that it came so soon before he had let this thing grow in his imagination but oh if it had come but a bit sooner if it had only been on the way over to the y m c a hut instead of on the way back that letter would never have been written she would have set him down as a bore perhaps but what matter what was she to him or he to her well perhaps he would have written a letter briefly to thank her for her offering of knitting but it would have been an entirely different letter from the one he did write he ground his teeth as he thought out the letter he should have written my dear miss macdonald no friend about that it certainly was kind of you to think of me as a possible recipient of a sweater but i feel that there are other boys who perhaps need things more than i do i am well supplied with all necessities i appreciate your interest in an old school friend the life of a soldier is not so bad and i imagine we shall have no end of novel experiences before the war is over 
I hope we shall be able to put an end to this terrible struggle very soon when we get over and make the world a safe and happy place for you and your friends. Here's hoping the men who are your special friends will all come home safe and sound and soon. Sincerely, J. Cameron. He wrote that letter over and over mentally as he tossed on his bunk in the dark, changing phrases and whole sentences. Perhaps it would be better to say something about her officer friends and make it very clear to her that he understood his own distant position with her. Then suddenly he kicked the big blue blanket off and sat up with a deep sigh. What a fool he was! He would not write another letter. The letter was gone, and as it was written he must abide by it. He could not get it back or unwrite it much as he wished it. There was no excuse or way to make it possible to write and refuse those sweaters and things, was there? He sat staring into the darkness while the man in the next bunk roused to toss back his blanket, which had fallen superfluously across his face, and to mutter some sleepy imprecations. But Cameron was off on the composition of another letter. My dear Miss MacDonald, I have been thinking it over and have decided that I do not need a sweater or any of those other things you mention. I really am pretty well supplied with necessities, and you know they don't give us much room to put anything around the barracks. There must be a lot of other fellows who need them more, so I will decline that you may give your work to others who have nothing, or to those who are your personal friends. Very truly, J. Cameron. Having convinced his turbulent brain that it was quite possible for him to write such a letter as this, he flung himself miserably back on his hard cot and realized that he did not want to write it, that it would be almost an insult to the girl, who even if she had been patronizing him, had done it with a kind intent, and after all it was not her fault that he was a fool. She had a right to marry whom she would. Certainly he never expected her to marry him. Only he had to own to himself that he wanted those things she had offered. He wanted to touch something she had worked upon, and feel that it belonged to him. He wanted to keep this much of human friendship for himself, even if she was going to marry another man. She had always been his ideal of a beautiful, lovable woman, and as such she should stay his, even if she married a dozen enemy officers. It was then that he began to see that the thing that was really making him miserable was that she was giving her sweet young life to such a rotten little mean-natured man as Wainwright. That was the real pain. If some fine noble man like well, like Captain LaRue, only younger of course, should come along he would be glad for her. But this excuse for a man, oh, it was outrageous. How could she be so deceived? And yet of course women knew very little of men. They had no standards by which to judge them. They had no opportunity to see them except in plain sight of those they wished to please. One would not expect them to have discernment in selecting their friends. But what a pity! Things were all wrong. There ought to be some way to educate a woman so that she would realize the dangers all about her and be somewhat protected. It was worse for Ruth MacDonald because she had no men in her family who could protect her. Her old grandfather was the only near-living male relative, and he was a hopeless invalid, almost entirely confined to the house. What could he know of the young men who came to court his granddaughter? What did he remember of the ways of men, having been so many years shut away from their haunts? The corporal tossed on his hard cot and sighed like a furnace. There ought to be someone to protect her, 
someone ought to make her understand what kind of a fellow Wainwright was. She had called him her knight, and a knight's business was to protect. Yet what could he do? He could not go to her and tell her that the man she was going to marry was rotten and utterly without moral principle. He could not even send someone else to warn her. Who could he send? His mother. No, his mother would feel shy and afraid of a girl like that. She had always lived a quiet life. He doubted if she would understand herself how utterly unfit a mate Wainwright was for a good pure girl. And there was no one else in the world that he could send. Besides, if she loved the man, and incomprehensible as it seemed, she must love him or why should she marry him? If she loved him, she would not believe an angel from heaven against him. Women were that way, that is, if they were good women like Ruth. Oh, to think of her tied up to that beast, he could think of no other word. In his agony he rolled on his face and groaned aloud. Oh, God, his soul cried out, why do such things have to be? If there really is a God, why does he let such awful things happen to a pure good girl? The same old bitter question that had troubled the hard young days of his own life. Could there be a God who cared when bitterness was in so many cups? Why had God let the war come? Sometime in the night the tumult in his brain and heart subsided, and he fell into a profound sleep. The next thing he knew the kindly roughness of his comrades wakened him with shakes and wet sponges flying through the air and he opened his consciousness to the world again and heard the bugle blowing for roll-call another day had dawned grayly and he must get up they set him on his feet and bantered him into action and he responded with his usual wit that put them all in howls of laughter but as he stumbled into place in the line in the five o'clock dawning he realized that a heavy weight was on his heart which he tried to throw off what did it matter what ruth macdonald did with her life she was nothing to him never had been and never could be if only he had not written that letter all would now be as it always had been if only she had not written her letter or no he put his hand to his breast pocket with a quick movement of protection somehow he was not yet ready to relinquish that one taste of bright girl friendliness even though it had brought a stab in its wake he was glad when the orders came for him and five other fellows to tramp across the camp to the gas school and go through two solid hours of instruction ending with a practical illustration of the gas mask and a good dose of gas it helped him to put his mind on the great business of war which was to be his only business now until it or he were ended he set his lips grimly and went about his work vigorously what did it matter anyway what she thought of him he need never answer another letter even if she wrote he need not accept the package from the post office he could let them send it back refuse it and let them send it back that was what he could do then she might think what she liked perhaps she would suppose him already gone to france anyhow he would forget her it was the only sensible thing to do meanwhile the letter had flown on its way with more than ordinary swiftness as if it had known that a force was seeking to bring it back again. The YMCA man was carried at high speed in an automobile to the nearest station to the camp, and arrived in time to catch the Baltimore train just stopping. In the Baltimore station, he went to mail the letter just as the letter-gatherer arrived with his keys to open the box, so the letter lost no time but was sorted and started northward before midnight. 
and by some happy chance arrived at its destination in time to be laid by ruth macdonald's plate at lunch-time the next day some quick sense must have warned ruth for she gathered her mail up and slipped it unobtrusively into the pocket of her skirt before it could be noticed dotty wetherell had come home with her for lunch and the bright red y m c a triangle on the envelope was so conspicuous dotty was crazy over soldiers and all things military she would be sure to exclaim and ask questions she was one of those people who always found out everything about you that you did not keep under absolute lock and key every day since she had written her letter to cameron ruth had watched for an answer her cheeks glowing sometimes with the least bit of mortification that she should have written at all to have received his rebuff had he after all misunderstood her or had the letter gone astray or the man gone to the front she had almost given up expecting an answer now after so many weeks and the nice warm olive drab sweater and neatly knitted socks with extra long legs and bright lines of color at the top with the wristlets and muffler lay wrapped in tissue paper at the very bottom of a drawer in the chiffonier where she would seldom see it and where no one else would ever find it and question her probably by and by when the colored draftees were sent away she would get them out and carry them down to the headquarters to be given to some needy man she felt humiliated and was beginning to tell herself that it was all her own fault and a good lesson for her she had even decided not to go and see john cameron's mother again lest that too might be misunderstood it seemed that the frank true instincts of her own heart had been wrong and she was getting what she justly deserved from departing from aunt rhoda's strictly conventional code nevertheless the letter in her pocket which she had not been able to look at carefully enough to be sure if she knew the writing crackled and rustled and set her heart beating excitedly and her mind to wondering what it might be she answered dotty wetherell's chatter with distraught monosyllables and absent smiles hoping that dotty would feel it necessary to go home soon after lunch but it presently became plain that dotty had no intention of going home soon that she had come for a purpose and that she was plying all her arts to accomplish it ruth presently roused from her reverie to realize this and set herself to give dotty as little satisfaction as possible out of her task it was evident that she had been sent to discover the exact standing and relation in which ruth held lieutenant harry wainwright ruth strongly suspected that dotty's brother bob had been the instigator of the mission and she had no intention of giving him the information so ruth's smile came out and the inscrutable twinkle grew in her lovely eyes dotty chattered on sentence after sentence paragraph after paragraph theme after theme always rounding up at the end with some perfectly obvious leading question ruth answered in all apparent innocence and sincerity yet with an utterly different turn of the conversation from what had been expected and with an indifference that was hopelessly baffling unless the young ambassador asked a point-blank question which she hardly dared to do of ruth macdonald without more encouragement and so at last a long two hours dragged thus away and finally dotty wetherell at the end of her small string and at a loss for more themes on which to trot around again to the main idea reluctantly accepted her defeat and took herself away leaving ruth to her long delayed letter End of chapter 7